Happy Sunday to you guys. James, thank you so much. That was just wonderful. I mean, you guys are just amazing. The media team is absolutely amazing. I'm just overwhelmed by how just your heart to serve this church and just all you guys out there. Thank you for tuning in on Sunday um, so that we could preach. Today is Palm Sunday. I don't know if you realized it, but today's Palm Sunday, which is the Sunday before Jesus went to the cross 2,000 years ago. And this Friday night is the night, you know, traditionally we celebrate that Christ, you know, died upon the cross. And so I hope this week really is a, a one where you take your faith seriously. Maybe think about it, especially now that we have this gift of being at home, this gift of just meditating about Christ, meditating about the cross, meditating about everything that, you know, Christ did for us. And I hope this week really proves to be a week of revival. We talked about fasting last week. Maybe that's something that you can integrate into your Passion Week celebration so that we can fast from things so that we can become hungry for God. And next week when we meet again, it'll be Easter and we get to celebrate that together. And so um, it'll be a wonderful week, hopefully. But let's get to our passage today. Our passage today comes from Matthew 5, verse 7. We're going to continue with the Beatitudes. And so let's read that together. The Word of God reads, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that you've been taking us through this amazing series. The teachings are so simple, but yet so profound. And Father, we could take it lightly and just hear what you have to say, or we could truly tune our hearts and our souls to listen to what you have to say to us so that we can be transformed by them. God, we pray, even though this is the medium that we worship in, Lord, may your spirit touch so many hearts. May your word touch and transform so many for your glory so that we can know you and love you and live for you with all that we have. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I have three nephews in the States. My sister has three sons. And so I have two sons. We're a very blessed family. My dad is totally stoked that he has five grandsons. Anyway, who cares? But I have three nephews in the States. And the oldest one, his name is Matthew. He just turned 20 this past week. And I'm so proud of him. He's so great. Um, but when Matthew was born 20 years ago, my, my brother-in-law had to work. He actually traveled a lot for work. So Monday through Thursday, he was always gone. And my sister was the first kid, so she was like, Eddie, do you think you can help out? And my church was literally like one or two blocks away from her house. So I would stay over at her house from Monday through Thursday. And together, we would raise this child. And um, immediately, you know, from the first moment I saw Matthew, I fell in love with him. And I and I helped my sister raise this baby as if it was my own son. Anyway, two years later, uh, I'm having this conversation with my brother-in-law and my sister, and they turn to me and they say, Eddie, you know, we think Matthew is a lot like you. And then out of nowhere, like this rush of pride, you know, overwhelms me. And I'm like, really? You know, how is he like me? And then they're like, you know, we think, you know, he's a pretty quick learner. And, you know, we think he's kind of, kind of smart kind of like you, and I'm like, really? You know, and I'm like, oh yeah, go on, tell me more. But then that's when it took a bad turn. Uh, they said, yeah, he's totally like you. He is so lazy, just like you, Eddie. You know, and I'm like, wow, that hurt a lot. But it didn't matter because, you know, I know I'm a little bit lazy. Uh, and the thing is, when I looked at Matthew, I was like, oh my goodness, I was so proud. I don't care how negative those words were. I kind of wish it was a better characteristic that he mimicked, but he was just like me. 
And that, that overwhelming sense of pride was just so great. And I loved it. You know, if someone were to say to you, hey, this child is just like you. Or if you're a parent and someone went to you and said, wow, your child is just like you. And you were to ask them, well, in what way? What characteristic would you want them to say? You know, I'm sure all of us want, you know, we want to say the most positive things about us. And hopefully people will think, you know, that these children are very positively reflected uh, from, out of us. But, uh, and no one's going to be proud, no one's going no to want to say some negative characteristics. There's no parent out there that's going to say something like, oh, I'm so proud that my child bludges much better than I do, right? No, no one's going to say stuff like that. Anyway, today, God actually answers that exact question for us. What characteristic would you like reflected in your children? God answers that question for us in our verse today. In our verse, Christ is telling us that exact characteristic, and that characteristic is mercy. Right? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, what exactly is mercy? What does it mean to be merciful? And why does God value that so much within us? Let's get to that together. Well, here, here's the, the, the definition of mercy. Um, the mercy is translated as giving help to the wretched or bringing relief to those in misery. So mercy really is a passionate response to alleviate you know, the misery or the needs of others. It means to feel the pain of another so deeply that you're actually compelled to do something about it. So a famous theologian defines mercy this way. He says, it's to get inside someone's skin until we can see things with his eyes, think things with his mind, and feel things with his feelings so that we can move into that person's life and then act on behalf of those who are hurting. So if we understand mercy correctly, you know, it really is absolutely meaningless to keep the concept of mercy in the theoretical realm. Mercy is all about doing something for someone, right? Mercy is all about action. You know, I think a, lot of, a great misconception that a lot of Christians have when they think about mercy is they think, about, they think it's just about feeling bad. You know, kind of like when you watch one of those commercials late at night on TV and there's starving children in Africa, you feel bad. And maybe some of us, some of us even shed a tear. And after, after it all, we're like, whoa, I just had this experience. And we think that's mercy. But it's not mercy. That's actually, it's actually just pity. That's what it really was. Mercy, the true characteristic of mercy, is action. Action to bring relief to those in misery. And because of that, I think merciful really is one of the most accurate words that can describe the character of God because when he saw us in our misery, he absolutely had to do something about it. Can you imagine if God saw us in the misery of our sin and he's sitting up there in heaven and he feels really, really bad, he's shedding all these tears, but then he chooses to do nothing about it? I mean, would we be saved? You know, of course not. The only reason why we have hope in this life is because God's compassion compelled him to do something about it, to act on our behalf and to send his son Jesus to die for our sins. And that ultimate act of mercy is why God is not just merciful, but he is mercy. It embodies who he is. And that's why he values mercy so highly in us. Because when we practice mercy within our lives, you know, especially to one another, what we're doing is we're directly reflecting one of God's most redemptive qualities. And that's a quality that can literally change the lives of people on this earth. 
And that's why this verse says that every single time we practice mercy in our lives, God cannot help but to pour out more mercy upon us. Why? Because he loves seeing himself reflected in his children. You know, I have three nephews. Oldest one's Matthew. My second oldest nephew, his name is Isaac. Now, you know, if you're an uncle or if you're an aunt, you really only have one job, and the only job you have to your nephews and nieces is to make them happy, to make them laugh, to buy them gifts so they love you more than their parents. That's what our job is, you know, and I, I, do, I do that very, very well. Anyway, when Isaac was about three years old, he started to talk, and I remember one time he was, uh, he was calling me. He's like, ah, Sanchan, right? That means uncle in Korean. And so he's calling uncle, uncle, and you know, my whole goal is to make him laugh, and so I would respond in ways that would just make him laugh, and I remember I used to say, like, hey, what you want? And the way I said it, he would just crack up. So I would just say it over and over and over again, and he would crack up all the time. Three weeks later, I'm playing with Isaac in the bedroom, and his mother calls. And his mother's calling from downstairs, and he yells through the door. He's like, what you want? You know, and, and I was shocked because it's so disrespectful, right, children? Anyway, it's so disrespectful to, your, to you know, your mother to say it like that. But then he immediately turns to me. Our eyes lock. He smiles so big, and he starts to laugh. And I don't know, even though it was so disrespectful, I was so proud. You know, I was so proud because he said that line just like me. He was imitating me exactly like I do it. And I was actually so proud of him. I was so happy that I, I lifted it. I took him. I lifted him up. We, we did some circles in the room. And I offered like every, to buy him every Happy Meal you know, at McDonald's. You know, I just loved it. And the reason why is because he was imitating me. And I absolutely loved it. You know, I got I to gotta imagine that's how God kind of feels when he sees us imitating him. You know, when parents see their children imitating them. I get so excited by my little nephew, you know, with something so stupid as a line. But can you imagine how stoked God must be when we actually reflect the ultimate act of mercy to one another? You know, I mean, that's got to just excite him like there's no tomorrow. And, and, and this verse says that when he sees that in us, he cannot help but to pour out more mercy into our lives as a result. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, I know when we read that in English, it kind of sounds like a conditional statement, doesn't it? You know, if we do this, then God will do this. But that's not what it is. It's not a conditional statement whatsoever. It's just a simple statement of how God wants to work within our lives. As we reflect Him and His mercy and His characteristics in our lives to others, He will joyfully, abundantly pour out more mercy upon our lives. It's his natural reaction. It's his joyful reaction to what we're about. So the question then is, if we want to live that life of mercy is, how do we live a life of mercy? What does that actually look like in real life? And just like we've been doing every single week, let's take a look, a brief look at Jesus's life. How did he show mercy in his life? Maybe we can learn from that. Uh, Christ actually showed mercy in two ways. First, the compassion of Christ drove him to become a man. He was God, but his compassion drove him to become one of us so that he could not only understand us better, but so that when he knew how to relieve us of our misery, we could understand it as well. So, compassion. Secondly, uh, the mercy of Christ is really embodied in his forgiveness. Jesus Christ chose to forgive our sins by dying on the cross for us. And so, mercy is seen in those two ways. Compassion in forgiveness. And when those two things are practiced in our lives, not only will we be blessed, but we'll be shown 
mercy as well. But let's talk about those two things. Let's talk about forgiveness first. You know, if you're a follower of Christ, if you are saved and you're a follower of Jesus, then we've received the greatest act of forgiveness and mercy from Jesus Christ. We literally have. We've experienced that. And because that's true, we now have been gifted and have the ability to forgive others, even those who have sinned grossly against us. You know, I read this story of what happened one day at the Crystal Cathedral in California, who was pa- which is pastored by Robert Schuller. It's a very famous church in California by a very famous pastor. And so I'm just going to, I kind of just copy and pasted this story as I found it in this book. So let me just read that to you. One day, uh, Pastor Schuller met an older woman who needed work, and her name was Bernice. So he hired her to be his housekeeper. And she was a lovely older woman who always showered Schuler with love and poppy seed rolls. I guess he likes poppy seed rolls. Anyway, but no one knew of her hidden hurts and her deep-seated prejudices and hatreds. One day, she came to Schuler and said, Bob, I was reading the church bulletin and noticed that you are having a guest speaker next Sunday who was a kamikaze pilot. Schuler nodded and told Bernice the tremendous story of how this Japanese pilot came to Christ. But the way she responded took him off guard. That might be true, but my son was killed in World War II by a kamikaze pilot. And she told him that she wasn't going to church that Sunday, and he totally understood. Schuller then wrote, this is what he wrote. He said, the next week the Japanese pilot shared his story. His love and gratitude for Jesus was obvious. And you could feel the love and release that he had found in Christ. People were moved by his testimony, and when the service was over, I, Pastor Schuler, walked him down the aisle to the rear of the church. Suddenly, as we approached the last pew, an older woman stopped out directly in our path. She stood firmly in front of the kamikaze pilot and blocked his exit. She looked him squarely in the eye and said, My son was killed by a kamikaze. It was Bernice. We all held our breath as she continued. I have seen how God has forgiven you of your sins, and tonight, for the first time in 40 years, I've allowed him to forgive mine. Will you forgive my hatred for your people? And with tears in his eyes, the young pilot said, Will you forgive me for what my people did to you? She threw her arms around this little Japanese man, and they stood there holding each other, both of them crying and crying, weeping with peace and release tears of joy. You know, it's totally human to harbor anger. It's totally human to hate somebody or to judge somebody, you know, and not to forgive them. And it's completely natural to be like that towards people who have hurt us. But if we continue to harbor that anger and judgment towards others like Bernice did, then we're simply going to become its victims. You know, the kind of punishment that we really want to see happen upon them is really going to happen in our hearts because we're going to be the ones paying the price. We're going to be the ones finding ourselves imprisoned by our own hatred. But because of the undeserving forgiveness that we've experienced from God ourselves, because of the undeserving forgiveness that we know that we receive from Jesus, instead of hatred and judgment, we now have the ability to truly extend that same forgiveness to others who have hurt us, even if they hurt us grossly. 
And that's pretty powerful because what that means is that we no longer have to live imprisoned by our hatred, imprisoned by our judgments, right? Imprisoned by our sins and all of its evil, but we can be free from it. And we can be free from this desire to, to, to get back at other people, you know, this desire for retribution. We can be free from judgment and free from anger. And that's exactly what we talked about when we talked about the meat, didn't we? That's what it embodies. Is it easy to do that? Of course it isn't. Forgiveness is rarely that easy, right? Is it costly to do that? Most of the time. You know, it costs the life of Christ. Um, and that's why we need His mercy to do so. But as difficult as that might be for us to forgive, can you imagine how unfair it was for an innocent man to lay down his life to pay the penalty of other people's sins? That's what Jesus did. And Jesus chose to do that so that we could also mirror that type of mercy in our lives today. So forgive freely. You know, and as you do, God will empower you to forgive even more. And I really think that's desperately needed in today's world, especially among Asians. You know, today there's a lot of anti-Asian sentiment that's going around. I'm sure every single day you read of a story or you hear a story. I've been reading a story every single day about something happening to an Asian because the whole world is blaming Asians for the whole COVID, the COVID crisis. And it makes me angry, if I'm very honest with you. Every single time I read one of those things, I get so angry. But, you know, after my emotion subsides, I ask myself, God, what is the godly response? What, how are we Christians supposed to respond to all this anti-Asian sentiment that's going around in the world and all the violence that's happening and, you know, towards Asians? And, you know, I think our response needs to be twofold. First and foremost, just like we've been talking about today, I really believe that it starts with forgiveness, you know? Um, I love the verse that says, when we were God's enemies, that's when he chose to love us first and to forgive us. And I think that has to be our default, default mode as well. I think it begins with forgiveness. And, um, you know, retribution was never part of his agenda. Meekness always was. And so when we hear about those stories, we need to begin with forgiveness. Otherwise, we'll operate in hatred and anger, and that's not what God would do. Uh, but secondly, I really think Christians must, they, we need to fight for justice. And by justice, I don't mean like making sure that the guy who hurt us gets his penalty. That's not what I mean. What I mean is that we need to think, think about changing society to become more like Christ, changing people in this world to become more like Christ. We're called to be salt and light. And so, you know, what that means is taking action to change laws to protect the vulnerable and to bring awareness as to what's happening, to defend those who are actually vulnerable and to actually defend those who are getting hurt. We need to be taking action towards those things. I know many Asians, we like to be passive when it comes to public things like this. That's just the way we're raised. Maybe that's our Confucius background. But this is a time where I believe we need to stand. You know, racism is so much bigger than just the Asian thing. It really is. It is a pervasive sin of mankind that all of us must fight against, you know, united in society, but also within ourselves. And that's why it begins with forgiveness. And that's why it has to begin with us. So is there anyone that you have a grudge against right now that you need to forgive, that God is prompting your heart to forgive? Are there people that you're being racist against that God is speaking to you about that you need to take care of and surrender today, you know? Um, has someone hurt you so badly, kind of like Bernice, that there's no way you can even consider forgiving them? Today, we need to ask God for His mercy 
to allow us to forgive them because that's where we need to go first, right? Let's ask for God's mercy upon ourselves and let's ask him for a heart to forgive today. You know, one pastor once said that forgiveness is the one characteristic that Christians enjoy yet least employ. Let's change that and let's really be known for our forgiveness in the world today. Mercy is practiced through forgiveness, but it's also practiced in compassion. You know, I really believe that all Christians need to be active in compassion. You know, whether it's feeding the hungry, whether it's clothing the naked, whether it's helping the helpless, you know, we need to be active and involved. And it's only because Christ went out of his way to seek those in misery, and then he did something about it. And I believe we're called to do exactly the same. Now, one way to do that is about getting, you know, is, is by getting involved with compassion ministries. And we'll talk about that in a second. But especially in our day and age today, you know, being, uh, sometimes I feel like we're being imprisoned at home. But with the whole self isolation thing and the virus that's going on and the lockdown that's happening, I think it's a great opportunity for Christians to help the most vulnerable in our society. I know we've been talking about that, but there's the elderly, there's the immigrants, you know, there's the international students that are here. You know, give them a call. Serve them in ways that, that really will help them. Some of them, I think, really are in misery. You know, maybe you can volunteer to shop for them. Maybe you can actually cook a whole day's meal, drop it off at their doorstep. Maybe you can even virtually eat dinner with them over the internet. That's weird, but you know, it's, these are weird times. These are things we can do. Because, you know, I, I spend every single day at home with my family, and as much as I love them, there are times that I feel lonely. I feel alone. I need community. And I, need, I want to connect with people. And I, and, and I figure, and I thought about international students who literally left their families behind. They, maybe they can't afford a plane ticket to go back home, or maybe the borders are closed, and they're stuck here. Maybe they're living in a house they don't want to be in, and they can't even leave. And I just thought, wow, if you know people like that, it's a great opportunity for us to reach out to them, to love them, to show them the mercy of Christ in such a great way. We can actually be the hands and feet of Jesus. And what a great opportunity we have to do just that. You know, other ministries that we can get involved in after this whole crisis is over is compassion ministries. You know, I don't think there's any type of ministry that will confront your faith more directly and connect you more quickly with God's heart. Because when you engage in those ministries, it challenges you like, like no other ministry to actually become like Jesus. Uh, when I was in uni, I used to spend my summers, every week during the summer, I would go down to the city and I would feed the hungry and the homeless. And I'll never forget my first week I was there. I, I was giving my trade to this one homeless man and I had this big smile on my face because I, I just figured that's the best face to have when you're trying to bless somebody. And uh, I gave the trade to him and he looked at me and he just started yelling at me. And he said, oh, you think you're doing something really good, do you? You're just going to go back in your car and drive back to the suburbs, right? And then once he said that, I was like shocked. And I didn't know how to process that. And, um, you know, I wasn't smiling anymore. And I didn't feel good anymore. Everything about doing compassion ministry that I thought was doing compassion ministries, it just flew out the door. And I remember on the car ride home, I'm thinking, wow, oh my gosh, how unfair. But then I really thought, you know, maybe he's right. Do I really love this guy? Or am I just serving food to homeless people because it makes me feel better about myself? And then the more I got involved with Compassion Ministries, uh, bigger questions, deeper questions, really kind of you know, started floating to the surface that questions the quality of your faith very deeply. And they began really challenging the genuineness 
of so many aspects of my faith. Um, you know, I started to realize that I, I treat a lot of my faith. I, try, I treat a lot of my walk with Christ. I treat a lot of my church work. I treat a lot of my relationships more like charity than I do like mercy. You know, as a, and I don't treat them as this true commitment to love somebody and to help somebody like Jesus would. You know, I think the reality is a lot of times I just kind of do just enough so that they won't complain or just enough to get by. But the questions that I'm always, you know, asking, or I always feel like the Spirit's asking me is, is that really compassion in action? You know, is that really the embodiment of God's mercy played out in your life? You know, is that the redemptive lifestyle that Christ actually died for me to have? Or is it just me wanting me to feel good about me living out the faith, my own faith, my way? And it's really, really difficult. The life that God calls us to is hard. To truly live mercy out in this world will be very hard, right? And that should be no surprise because we said last week that the the, the the way Jesus defines our faith is hunger and thirst, you know, dehydration, starvation. Uh, the, the life that he calls us to, the life that he died for, is for one, you know, not to be a casual like pursuit, but it's got to be with all that we have. He died so that we could give him all that we have. So it makes sense that if mercy is the characteristic of God, the defining characteristic that God wants us to mirror in these lives, then in reality, it should cost us our life just like it did Christ. Christ said what? If, you, if anyone were to come after me, he's got to deny himself, take up his cross, and then follow me. You know, there's no way that you can treat that calling like charity, even if you tried. Right? That's like a... It takes all that you have. But here's the reality, and here's the good news. You know, when we seek... To live a life of mercy. When you, let's say you're at home and you're like, okay, I get it. I'm going to live a real life of mercy now. I'm not going to, you know, like half, you know, I'm not going to treat this like halfway. I'm going to be, I'm going to be all in. You know, the moment that you truly start to seek and live, seek to live out this life of mercy, what's going to happen is that you're going to quickly realize that you can't do it. You cannot really live this life of all-out mercy unless we actually do it with the help of God. We cannot do it without the help of God. You know, every single human in this world has the ability to be charitable. But I truly believe that it takes divine power and anointing to be merciful God's way. You know, even Jesus, when I read the Gospels, had to ask God for help all the time to live out that life of mercy. You know, when we read today's verse, we think that it's saying that we'll get mercy if we live out mercy. But the practical reality behind that verse is that we can't really be merciful without the mercy of God active within our lives first. It's only when we're filled with Him do we really have the ability to die to ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him like He would. But therein is the good news. You know, therein really is the great news. Because any, if you read your scripture, any book of the Bible, what you'll always notice is that God always takes the initiative first. You know, he always takes the first step. And that's why the statement can never be conditional, right? Because as we, live, as we take steps to live out this mercy, 
God not only helps us realize how much more mercy we need within our lives, but he awakens us to how much mercy that he's already given to us. And that's why it's awesome. He shows that to us. And encountering that truth really is one of the most encouraging, embracing, and empowering things that we can continue to experience within this life. You know, and that's great. When we realize that about God, that He chose us first, that He continually chooses to love us first, and that He is always giving us everything that we need even before we realize that we need it, it is that love and encountering that kind of mercy within our lives that continually keeps us captured and captivated to follow after Christ. I think one of the most difficult things for westernized Christians today is to is to continue to have this passion for Christ, to continue to live with a great passion for Christ. This verse reminds us that the answer to that really is continually encountering the mercy of God. right? And we access that as we move and as we live out our calling to be merciful to one another and this world. So let's strive to be merciful so that we can continually be captivated by his mercy for us. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let's pray, and let's pray for a minute or two. You know, just as mercy completely transformed our lives, mercy has the power to change the world when they encounter it through us. Mercy, not charity, not pity, but mercy, forgiveness and compassion in action. Because when they do, they're going to see God's ultimate act of mercy lived through us. And that's why God wants mercy reflected so badly in us. And that's why his joyful approval is over those who do. Let's commit ourselves today, especially within our current times, to reflect God to this lost world. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let's take a minute to pray.